So, uh, but it's such an honor to be here with your pastors today, and your pastor's emeritus, I guess, yeah. And, uh, you know, that hope that doesn't make you sound old or what. <laughs> but it's so good to be with the Johnsons today and, and with, uh, with your pastors here today and to be with you. And the Lord was dealing in my heart and uh, began to put some things on my heart. And um, your pastors came to mind, this church came to mind. And so I contacted him and just felt like there were some things that I think the Lord was showing me. And I was praying, God, where could I strategically share this? You know, when you receive a word from the Lord, and we're currently not pastoring, so we're not currently uh, in active pastoral ministry, and so we're preaching here and there, but was asking the Lord uh, the strategic word that he was giving me for the church, and and so I believe um, that this is no accident today, that we're here and that you're here. Uh, I believe that God has coordinated this today. And God has a word for each and every one of you that is crucial to the kingdom of God. I want you to know this morning that wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you vacation, wherever you are, you are an integral part of God's plan for this town, Corsicana, and for this county. Y'all are in Navarro County? See, we've got to begin seeing ourselves... Uh, in this way. And so I just want you to turn this morning to Second Timothy uh, chapter 2. We're going to get right into this. I'm kind of like the writer of Hebrews. There's so much that I want to say, you know, but he says, you know, but I'm going to say I don't have enough time. So we just need the Holy Spirit to guide me this morning to make sure that what I'm talking about is something that God wants you to know today in your life and in your family. So Second Timothy chapter two, verse three, it's not the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's close. Uh, but it says, and this is, uh, I believe in the new American standard. It says, Paul is talking to Timothy and Timothy is now in full ministry. And so he's, he's talking to a young pastor, a young minister, but he says to him, Paul says, suffer hardship with me, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Well, that's quite an introduction to the ministry, right? There's not Suffer hardship. And of course, that's the reality of all ministry. Whether you're in the pulpit, whether you're pastorate, whether you're in service in the church, wherever your ministry is, you can expect opposition from the enemy because he does not want the kingdom of God to expand in advance. <clears throat> and so let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the word, God, that you've put upon my heart. And I ask you this morning, you'll anoint me, Lord, anoint my, my mouth to speak the word of God, to speak the truth of God this morning without hindrance or admixture from me today, God. And I pray you would anoint each hearer today, anoint our ears by the Holy Spirit. He who has ears, she who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, we receive that today and we prepare ourselves not only to hear the word, but to do the word. Not only to hear the word, but to do what you've instructed us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. One of the main themes in the Bible is a conflict between God and the devil, God and Satan. So we know this. And so it's the kingdom of light 
and it's the kingdom of darkness. It's the forces of good versus the forces of evil. And in our entertainment realm and in the arts, this is one of the central themes because it's a central theme in our lives, that battle between good and evil. It's something that goes on inside of us every day as we make certain choices, as we do or refrain from doing certain things. We are in the midst of making decisions about how our life is going to be conducted and whether or not we're going to further light and goodness or whether or not we're going to further darkness and evil. And there's not a moment in your life of any given day that that struggle is not in play. The, the enemy is The enemy knows who you are. The enemy knows that you've made a choice. You've made a commitment. You have forsaken his kingdom. You have left the kingdom of darkness. You have entered the kingdom of the glorious light of the Lord. You made a choice. You changed your allegiance. You chose sides. And when you chose sides against the enemy, he is going to make you a target. Whenever we bring people into salvation... And we've made salvation uh, and personal salvation central in our preaching. We've made it central uh, in our evangelism. And, of course, it is central. But sometimes we have been so uh, locked in on that that we have forgotten that what happens when you get saved is not just that you are saved and that you've been saved from, a, from the wrath of God and from hell, which is a nice thing, but you've also been enlisted into an army. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a believer today, you've been enlisted in the army of Jesus Christ. And God has an agenda. He has a, he has a strategic plan to use you to push back the forces of darkness in this town to sh- and, to sh- and to bring the kingdom of God, God's rule to bear in the lives of individuals, families, and also institutions in this town. We're meant to have an impact. What we do here is only preparatory to our real mission. Our real mission starts when we leave the building today. When we're out and about in this community, wherever we may be, at home or out eating at a restaurant, or whether we may be at school or, or work or whatever the case may be. And so, so this conflict is from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, As he had deceived Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman. What does that mean? There's going to be a war. There's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a struggle between you now and the human race. And between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise you on your head. And you shall bruise him on his heel. So we know today that God wants us to crush the head of Satan. To bruise the head of Satan. What happens when you kill the head of the snake? You kill the snake. You can chop the thing in half and it can still bite you. Hallelujah. It's time. And so God has told us this. It starts in Genesis. Listen to Revelation. It says, so the dragon, this is Satan, was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children to keep, who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you keep the commandments of God? Yes? Do you keep the testimony of Jesus? Then the enemy is waging war against you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your business. He wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy you. And every moment of every day, there are demonic forces that are seeking your destruction. 
Wow, how exciting. <laughs> that's, a new, that's a good news kind of guy right there. But it's true. So these, these verses raise an important question. What role do we play then in this, in this spiritual struggle, in this cosmic warfare? What is my role? What should I do? Number one, we are soldiers in the army of God. When you were saved, you were enlisted in the army of the Lord, who is the Lord Sabaoth. It's in the Old Testament. It says that he is the Lord of hosts. This means he is the Lord of the armies of heaven. That's what that means. And so God is, uh, is, is identified. So there, is a, there are legions of angels that are organized in heaven, that are equipped in heaven, that are carrying on warfare with the devil and with the demonic forces. And so that army is there. But what he did is for us, he came to earth and Jesus saved us, but he saved us so that we could be enlisted in his service so that we then could carry on the fight which he initiated with the enemy. It's very interesting that when Jesus came the fight, he fought the devil to the end and he conquered the enemy. The enemy is a defeated foe. We say that, but he's a stubborn foe and he is a ruthless foe. And what it is, is that in many cases there's been wars that have been won, but there continue to be skirmishes everywhere. Although, although the battle was won and one side had surrendered, skirmishes continued, but the devil refuses to surrender, even though he knows he's defeated, even though he knows what the end is, but this has made him desperate. He has nothing whatsoever to lose. He knows that his, his, he knows that it's up for him. He knows that he will be eternally damned. He knows that God has already passed judgment upon him. So now he is wanting to take as many people down with him as he possibly can. And so we changed our allegiance from the kingdom of darkness and the evil forces that reign over it to the kingdom of light and the God who rules over it. Whether you knew it or not, you became part of a divine mission to advance the kingdom of God wherever you go. In other words, you're, you became a soldier. And so you could call this message this morning, I'm in the army now. If you didn't know it, you know it now. So there's not going to be an excuse. I didn't know that. You know now you're in the army. When you got saved, you got enlisted. And so then the question is, what are we going to do about it? The Lord just was impressing upon me that the church has been very good uh, and very focused on evangelism and on salvations, which is essential. We had the baptisms this morning. Nobody's going anywhere without salvation. No one's in the kingdom of God without believing in Jesus Christ. No one becomes a part of the uh, of the uh, of the kingdom without that. But then there's another aspect of this is that our role in the kingdom. And so. I began to think about the, uh, what the Lord's been, been transforming me is to think about the kingdom of God and the mission that we're given in military terms. The Lord's really been speaking to me and I've been seeing in scripture how so many things overlap. For instance, we talk about serving and we talk about our service, right? Well, we also have the armed services and we ask people are, you know, what branch, you know, of the armed services did you, did you serve in or are you in the service? And so there, there's an overlap in that. There's a chain of command that's been established. There's a, there, there, there's a, there's a, 
God put in a, a, a command called the fivefold uh, ministry: apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. And so, and so God, and so they become then like commanders within the army of God. They're the ones that help to equip, and then they're the ones that help to mobilize and help to to pass on the orders from heaven. And so, there's so many overlaps in that. Not to mention that the scripture I read to you this morning, where yeah, where uh, Paul is talking and he says to be a good soldier in the uh, in, of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons is that I think that the church has been really good in enlisting people. But the question is not how many people do you enlist? The question is, how many people do you effectively train and deploy? Our army is never going to is never going. The United States Army would never win a war if all they did was enlist people and then hand them a gun. It requires training. It requires preparation. And so God's been putting on my heart. And one of the key aspects of our ministry and Pam, particularly with women, God has been anointing her powerfully in in in, in, in her, uh, ministry to women to equip them to to see healing in their lives and then to equip them for life in the kingdom of God. But that's what God is putting in our heart that the church needs to be more intentional, more strategic, more organized, and more tactical in the way that we carry out warfare. And so. There's a lot I could say about this this morning, but the main thing I want to talk about is I want you to leave here today knowing that you have been enlisted in the army. And now your next step is I need training. Your step is I need training. Now, your pastors, the pastoral staff, the leaders of this church, the Bible says that he gave the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints for ministry. Let me tell you something. Any ministry that you're involved in. I don't care if it's cleaning the toilets. I don't care if it's outreach into, you know, uh, to the homeless. What any ministry is an assault on the kingdom of darkness. Hear that this morning. We were talking yesterday, and I'm telling you, I got to thinking about this, and it would be like, if you're cleaning the church, you should come in and say, I'm in the army of God. I'm going to... these. These floors are going to be so clean, they won't find a speck on this. These, the pews are going to be clean. Everything's going to be in order. Everything's good. Because when they come on Sunday, they won't be looking at the floor. They won't be looking at the pews. They won't be looking at the lights. They'll be looking to Jesus. And you're already doing something that's crucial to the kingdom of God. And without that, like every army... Every army is made up of many moving parts. We think of when we think of army, we think of war, we think of combat. But the mass majority of what goes on has nothing to do directly with combat. How do the troops get moved from here to there? What happens when the troops get wounded? What are we going to do there? How are we going to feed the troops? You see what I'm saying? Everybody. I met a guy this uh, two weeks ago. And so he was in the army. And I said, what did you do when you are in the army? And he said, I was a cook. And I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm in the army. So I, got, so I was talking to him. And he said, yeah, I wanted to be a chef. And so the recruiter was like, oh, yeah, you can be a chef in, in the army, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, he found out eh, maybe not so much, you know. So the army's not known, I guess, as a culinary school, you know, or whatever. But the thing about that was is that he enlisted and he played an important part. What happens if the soldiers don't eat? 
When they're deployed and they're out there in the desert or they're in the jungle or they're out there in, in, in the battlefield, what happens if they don't eat? What happens if they're not tended when they're wounded? How, how, what happens if they're not in the right place at the right time? So you could have a bus ministry. And, or, you could, or, or you could go and bring people to church. You could be that transportation that could help people come into There's Anything that you do is going to be an assault on the kingdom of darkness. And it's going to play an integral role in the success of this church. So you have to realize that when you signed up for this, you checked your agenda in at the door. God has saved you. And he, he, if you're not, He wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He wants to, to equip you. But God is going to take care of you. Soldiers don't have to take care of themselves in terms of what we think about in life. The Bible says that a soldier, he doesn't get involved in civilian life for a lot of reasons, but mainly because that's not what he is. The army's going to clothe him. They're going to equip him. They're going to feed him. They're going to pay him, Right? And so you've entered now, so you don't have anything to worry about. You're taken care of. God's going to take care of your needs. You've got, as a soldier, to make your mind up that God has got me taken care of. I don't have to worry about the next meal. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about these things, because I'm in the army of God, and God is not going to leave His soldiers on the field without full provision. This just began to transform the way I was looking at the kingdom of God. But I'm going to tell you something. The church is so easy, and particularly in our country, we're so individualistic. It's, we, it's like, we're going to get ours first. I'm going to get mine first. And then when I get mine, then maybe I can help you. The kingdom of God is diametrically opposed to that. The kingdom of God is, I got God, so I got everything. What can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? What I have, what... the what of what I have can I share with you that's going to make your life different? So it's no longer about us, but it's about the kingdom of God engaging the enemy effectively as God is training us. And so uh, let's go down. So the question is, we're, we're, we're um, soldiers. So what are we fighting for? We're fighting for the kingdom of God. We're fighting for the expansion of the gospel. We're trying to get the good news into everybody's ears, into everybody's head. We're trying to get Jesus Christ front and center in people's attention and life. And so the best way to do that is not just by what you say, but by what you do. In other words, you need to become more like Jesus. The foundation of spiritual warfare is not casting out devils. The foundation of spiritual warfare, which every believer must pursue, is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus in the way you speak, in the way you act. Your, the ministry that God wants to flow through you should look like Jesus' ministry. Reaching out to the poor, reaching out to the marginalized, confronting religiosity and, that, and, 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 and traditions uh, that would keep us bound understand in Jesus that he was breaking down the very system of darkness and the reason he was such a threat and the reason they finally crucified him is because he was a threat to the religious institution, he was the religious authorities and the governmental authorities. If you want to change in America, I'm going to tell you something, it ain't going to come through the president. It isn't going to come through Congress. Unfortunately, it's not going to come through the courts. 
All of this has been so hopelessly compromised. If we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to be like Jesus. We're going to have to get up in the morning and say, I'm the difference that I want to see in my community. I'm not waiting who I'm going to vote for. I'm not going to wait for them anymore. But I am going to listen to God. God has the answer for our country. He has the answer for the world. But we are the bearers of that message. And the greatest thing is for us to live it out. In the postmodern world, I need that water. In the postmodern world, everything has changed. If you don't believe it, read the news. We're seeing things we never thought we'd ever see. The very foundations of values are not only called into question, but are ridiculed as immoral or as obsolete. The very things that we stood on, the very things that in America were bulwarks for us, have now come into check into deep question with our culture. Church is marginalized. The core of the growing core in culture sees the church as irrelevant to anything. In fact, they see it as an impedance, as an obstacle for progress. So we're just in the way. Well, praise God. Because we're not going anywhere. But they're not going to come to your church out of a sense of obligation. They're not going to come because grandma went to church or mama went to church. They're not going to seek out the church. When I was growing up, you would witness to someone and you would say, hey, I just want to share Jesus with you. And immediately they'd be like, oh, yeah, man, you know, I... You know, I haven't been to church in a long time. And immediately they were defensive. Immediately they were like, yeah, I know I should be in church. And that's not happening anymore. Or very rarely is that happening. So, so that, that's, that's off the table. Church is not attractive to them. It's not something they see as needed. Number two is the Bible. I mean, they've undermined in their own minds the authority of the Bible. So when you share Bible with them, it's like you might as well be pouring water on a duck's back. Because they have, number one, they have no frame of reference. They're, they're, they're illiterate to what the Bible is. And then they see it again as an old, uh, as, as an ancient text that has long since outlived its day. And so we want to go and we want to say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Well, that may work. Probably not going to work. You might say, well, the Bible says, da-da-da. Might work. Chances are it's not going to work. Well, people are like, oh my, what are you talking about? I'm saying this is a good thing. Because this is what we have, this is our evangelism. Our evangelism is, hey, I want you invite people to church. That's, even, that's evangelism for a lot of people. I try to get them in the church. Well, certainly we want them in the church. But that's not the point of you connecting with them. The point of you connecting with them is to share the kingdom of God. That they walk away from you and they saw Jesus. That they encountered the Holy Spirit. That something was going on that was going to bring transformation to their lives. And so, God, I think, He said, you know, we're just going to take this off the table. They're, they're relying a little too much on that. They're relying a little too much on themselves here. 
And then with the Word, the Word is effective. And you can always share the Word. And the Word can always do those things. But what I'm saying is, is that I think that we live in an age now where the only true witness is a life lived like Jesus. We can't slough it off anymore. We can't dial it in anymore. We can't dial our, our, our discipleship in, in anymore and say, well, I invited them to church. Click. Oh, well, I, I shared this scripture. I gave them this track. Click. We can't dial it in anymore. We've got to put our big, big boy and big girl pants on and we've got to go out there and we've got to be the message. Because otherwise you have no credibility to this generation. They're not interested in anything you have to say until they know that you care, that you love them no matter what, that you don't have some hidden agenda, that it's really all about them. I'm not out there to put a notch in my gun. I'm not out there to, 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 to put another jewel on my crown. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I encounter people. I see their lives imploding. I see them being torn to shreds. And I'm like, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to bring the gospel. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring food. I'm going to bring clothing. I'm going to do whatever I can to help this person realize that there is a God in heaven who loves them and sent his son to die for them. And that this world can be a better place if we would all just realize that Jesus is the answer. He is the one. He is the, uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And again, praise God. The only reason you have a way is to walk it. I hear a lot of people, he's the way. Well... And here's another thing. The only, no, the only way you know what it is to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus. Do something. You're like, man, this, you think this is harsh on you. I've, I've been doing this for like three months. God is like, do something. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. So what are we fighting for? We're fighting for the kingdom of God. There's two different fronts in the battle. There's a, there's a battle within, which is a battle between our spirit and the flesh. And then there's a battle around us, which is our battle with the world. I'm not going to go into this a lot. But I'm telling you that we've got to win the battle within before we can even hope to win the battle out there. When we win the battle inside and we crucify our flesh and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, then we're going to be walking, we are going to be like heat-seeking missiles in the kingdom of God. And God's going to direct you right where you need to be that day, just right to the person you need to talk to. And you need to be prepared at the very least to pray for them. Oh, I don't know if that would be... I'm going to tell you something. Even... even. Very seldom have I been in a place, even with hardened people. I mean, people that, I mean, even demon-possessed people. Where I've said, can I pray for you? And them say, no. I mean, the odds are small. And if they say no, praise, then there it is. Okay, no. All right. Then you go home, what do you do? You pray for them. Get their name. If they'll give you their first name, get their name. And pray for them. And do something. Be prepared. Be prepared. And so then, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of things with that. But let me just talk just, just a moment about basic training. 
I believe that there's a basic training that, that, that God has been showing me and developing me that I think in the churches would be very, very helpful. And uh, I'm just going to give you the high points of it. That's this morning, but I want you to know this. Every branch of the U.S. military has its own boot camp, its own basic training. And it's training that is to physically, mentally, and emotionally prepare every soldier, whether they're, on, whether they're in the battle or they're, or they're a cook or they're a medic, every soldier, no matter what their task is, is prepared for war and for, and for, the, uh, for the rigors and the hardship. Of war. That's why Paul said to Timothy, share with me, please. Let's, you know, the hardship that comes with being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so, you're, and so they, they focus on being physically fit. And, and so the training there is rigorous and, and demanding. They're also mentally fit and also emotionally fit. I think that there is a basic training in the kingdom of God. And that these are at least the basics of it. And so I'm just going to introduce these this morning. You can explore these a little bit more. Hoping God will, will, will speak into your life. But number one is you have to be fit for battle. You have to be spiritually fit in God's army. Just like you have to be physically fit in, in, the, in the physical army. Spiritual fitness. Let me tell you, let me tell you the, the most powerful step in spiritual fitness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, speaking in tongues is the initial sign which we believe in. But speaking in tongues is not the point of the baptism. It's just the initial sign. It's just like, okay, wow, that was great. I have the Spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in other languages, they were known languages. So it was a sign. But throughout, throughout Acts, we see that they're speaking in tongues in various different ways. But the point of it is not that. The point of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this. To carry out the mission we have been given. To be witnesses of Christ and His kingdom. To make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them. That's it. It's essential to your mission. And you will walk in close proximity to the Holy Ghost to the extent that you engage the enemy in battle. To the extent that you are going to not allow the forces of evil and the devil and his demonic hordes to to prey on your family, on you, your family, your community, your church. You draw a line in the sand and say, no more. Not on my watch. Not in my house. Not in my church. Not in my community. This isn't going to happen here. You start making stands like that, you'll be crying out for the Holy Ghost like you ain't ever cried out before. You'll be like, baptize me, baby, please. I mean, baptize me. Woo! Glory. Give it to me. I need it. We don't seek it because we don't think we need it. I'm just telling you how it is. You know, I'm saved and I have the Holy Spirit abiding within me and, you know, and He speaks to me and whatever. Great. That's all about you and Him. I'm not talking about that. 
That's necessary. That's important. I'm talking about the lives that are being destroyed just at this very moment on a Sunday morning in Corsicana. The lives that are imploding and the devil is destroying right here in your community. And we're the only ones who can stop it. So, be fit. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? It means baptism is immersion. You're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is all around you, in you. Your world is enveloped by Holy Ghost. And it also means boldness. Because the second time the Holy Spirit, they were filled the second time in Acts. It said that they went forth and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, I don't have time. Another thing is to exercise the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And so God will gift you. He will gift you in that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Romans 12, 4 through 8. He talks about spiritual gifts. He gifts you for battle. And then another thing, and I may, never, I may not get past this point, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Glory to God. But to be fit for battle is that people come into the army of God already wounded. Their hearts already broken. Their dreams are already crushed. Their relationships are already breaking apart. I mean, they're coming into the kingdom of God out of a world of darkness, a world of selfishness, a world of cruelty, a world of violence. A, a, a world in which they have been wounded by words spoken to them or, or actions towards them or attitudes they've lived under for many years. They come into the kingdom of God already wounded. And so part of spiritual fitness in the kingdom of God is a program of rehabilitation for those people who have been wounded in their spirit, broken in their heart. People who are in chains to the enemy and through addictions or through habits or whatever the case may be. And so the kingdom of God. So when you get saved, then that's just the very first step. The next step is you're going to go into like physical therapy. You're going to go into a kind of spiritual therapy. In which you've got to, in which you've got to face your past, in which you've got to realize that there, there, you know, that there's a bunch of baggage, that you see the world through the eyes of your past and what's happened to you in the past. When God is pointing you towards a future, but most people can't see the future because their attention is constantly on their painful past. Jesus, when he spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, they asked him to read. He's the one who chose the scroll of Isaiah. He's the one who unrolled it and read from Isaiah. So it was an intentional act. This wasn't out of the lectionary. This wasn't the assigned reading for the day. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to, to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of his vengeance and to comfort all who mourn. We have people coming into the church mourning. 
we have already in our lifetime, no matter how long or how short, we've already suffered such losses of things that were important, people who were important, dreams, intangible things. Whatever the case may be, we've suffered loss. That's what you do when you're a human being. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing stays around. You can't count on anything in this life to be permanent. And so we come to God with hearts that are aggrieved by what we've lost. I can talk about relationships alone. Relationships alone. Brokenness and things that come. And, and, and what the church then becomes is it becomes a place, it's, it's like grief recovery. Where you can come and you can face your past and the losses of your past. And you can realize there's a God in heaven that knows every loss. That he's going to restore everything that the enemy's stolen from you. That he's taken from you. But we have to understand that in the midst of this, spiritual warfare involves comforting those who mourn. But I'll go back to the beginning. And that is, Pam and I in our ministry now for many years, we, we, we have yet to encounter a, an individual who in one way or another, whose heart has not been broken. Pam says it shattered into a million pieces. Wounded soldiers. God doesn't expect you to go into the battle carrying your past, carrying those woundings, carrying those burdens, carrying those hurts, those disappointments that have come in your life. God wants to heal you. God wants to make you whole. The Bible said Jesus came and He made them whole. What does that mean? He ministered to them body, soul, and spirit. He restored their spirit. He healed them and freed them from their past so that they could go into battle healthy and with a vision towards the future and not towards the past. Stand with me this morning. Number one, this is a call to arms. You've got a decision to make. Are you or are you not? going to be an active soldier in this war? Are you or are you not going to play your role, whatever it is, to make sure at least at this level, this church succeeds in the mission it's been given to further the kingdom of God? Are you going to continue to be MIA, missing in action? You've got to make a decision. You've got to understand this is what's happened. And if you realize that you're enlisted, now it's a matter of stepping up and saying, I want the training. I want to know how to do. I want to know what I need to know. I want to know what, what, what I need to know so I can do what God is calling me to do. If you're here this morning and you're ready to say, yes, I, I'm in the army now. I realize it. I want you to come to the front. Once you come to the front, we're going to pray over you. So, I, But this response this morning is for you to say, yep, I hear the call. Yeah, I'm not going to stand on the sidelines anymore. I've been doing a little bit, but I could do more. 
This is a moment of destiny for this church this morning. You may not realize this, but the conjunction in spiritual places here is so crucial for this, for this congregation that if you don't step up, the church will not be successful in its mission. We may survive. We, we may maintain. We may grow a little bit. But you are called to more than that. Your mission is more than that. The church has got to stop just holding ground. And we're not even holding ground. The church is in retreat in our culture on every front. And you and I are the only ones that can make a difference.